0: Chapter 7, verses 9, sorry, 7 through 11, pardon me, 7 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As the kids are heading out, as I mentioned during the announcements, we're going to be spending our time journeying through Lent as a community reflecting on Jesus' teaching of what has been come, come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know this, we find the Lord's Prayer— In two of the four gospels, we find it in Matthew and in Luke. And our study is going to be focused primarily on Matthew's account of this prayer, even though there's not all that much difference between the two versions. But I want to, even though we're going to stay in Matthew and looking at this, let you know that it's Luke's gospel that actually provides the background for Jesus giving us these words. Luke tells us Jesus was praying and the disciples were watching him do so. And we know from other gospel accounts that they often saw Jesus praying. But this time, they specifically ask him, teach us how to pray. Interestingly, I don't know if you ever caught this, this is the only thing in all the gospels the disciples explicitly ask Jesus to teach them. They never ask how to do a Bible study, they never ask how to heal another person, they never ask how to teach about the kingdom. They never ask how to worship, they ask how to pray. What stood out more than anything else about Jesus, what impacted the disciples about how Jesus lived, worked, and acted, was his prayer life. And I think this distinction elevates the significance in our lives of this prayer in general, and of the words of this prayer in particular. I mean, ever since Jesus taught these 57 words to his disciples, no other sentences have shaped so much of humanity like this prayer. For many of us, these are the first words that we committed to memory as children in learning about faith. And these are often the last words spoken by those taking their last breath in this life. In the body of Christ, while there is, as we know, diversity on so many different points of doctrine, our shared witness and faith is linked through our common use of this prayer. These words are recited by every believer in every Christian service from baptism to burial. Right now, right now, someone somewhere is praying these words. This prayer. Given the vast number of Christians across the globe, statistically, this is a certainty. This prayer is a cornerstone of our faith. And Jesus begins, in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to just glance at it, Jesus begins by telling us, this then is how you pray. Jesus starts by saying, this then is how you pray. Many of us tend to struggle to struggle or be uncomfortable with prayer. Uh, for those of us who do struggle, it's as if we keep approaching God like it's a first-time relationship. I mean, can you you know what I'm talking about when you whenever you meet somebody for the first time, someone you don't know for the first time? Can you think of that kind of situation? You're meeting somebody you don't know for the first time. Think of a relative that's in your family that you've never met before. Right? And we all struggle in that moment with the same awkwardness and questions. What do I call this person? What should I say to him or her? don't leave me alone. What am I going to talk about with him or her? And what's interesting is we can approach God the same way whenever we pray. Even though we've believed in the Lord, even though we've gone to church, even though we've participated in worship for a long time, we don't know where to begin. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say anything before God. What we're missing as Jesus starts right here is Jesus with these words is teaching us not just how to pray. Jesus is teaching us how to initiate, how to converse, how to maintain an ongoing relationship with God. Because what we see here in Matthew and also in Luke is Jesus doesn't give us a variety of methods for praying. Jesus gives us the model, the means of address, and the conversational topics for talking with, for relating to God. Now, I want to be clear, this isn't the only prayer we can offer to God, but what Jesus gives us here is a framework, a filter, if you will, through which we can process our attitudes, our thoughts, and our desires when it comes to God. In other words, I want you to see the Lord's Prayer as supplying the grammar for our conversations with God whether we write out what we want to say or whether we spontaneously talk to God off the cuff, we are only speaking God's language when our prayers conform to the pattern of conversation contained in the Lord's prayer. This is our grammar for prayer. From the foundation of these words comes the vocabulary for other forms of conversation with God. Contemplative prayer, intercessory prayer, all other forms of prayer come from the foundation of these words. And so as we begin, it's worth pausing where we are with this prayer. I mean, these words are so ingrained into our consciousness and our practice, it's all too easy to pray the Lord's Prayer without paying a whole lot of attention to its meaning. And so I ask you again to reflect for a moment. Do you recite or do you pray the Lord's Prayer? Has the prayer as a whole, have the individual phrases of this prayer lost their meaning for us? Do we even stop and think about each petition as we pray? Do we only interpret each phrase in one way? I really want us in these next couple of weeks as we move towards Holy Week, as we move towards Easter, to really be open and it's, it's going to take some effort because, again, we're just so used to this prayer. I want us to be open as Jesus teaches us what, not only what each petition can mean for us, but I want us to be willing to learn how to talk to God, how to be shaped by what we pray. You don't even have to look down at your Bible. You know after Jesus says, this then is how you should pray how it starts. Our Father Jesus begins, interestingly, not with a petition, but with an address. When we, are pr- when we pray, we are not just talking silently or out loud to ourselves. We are talking to someone. There is another person on the other end of that line. And that person is not just God. It is the Father. My friends, believing in God is one thing. Knowing God as Father is another. We can look at creation. Many, we, many of us have at one point in our lives. Many of us have friends with, who do, this is their encounter with, with God. We can look at creation, and in looking at creation, I mean, if you really get caught up in the majesty and the intricacy of it, we can deduce a creator. And we can know that creator as God. But our ability to perceive who God is in relationship to us ends there. Claiming God through creation and being claimed by God in salvation are not the same thing. It is only when our eyes are opened and the Son is revealed to us when we discover Jesus is looking at us, looking for us, that Jesus came for us, that we can know God as the Father. When we say Father, what I want you to hear is we are first speaking about Jesus' relationship to God. To call God Father is not a declaration of gender. God is not a male. It's a declaration about the inner life of God. The inner life of God, the relational, familial, communal nature of God as uniquely both Father and Son, and yet inseparably one. When Jesus refers to God, he refers to God when he's not teaching us how to pray. When Jesus refers to God, he doesn't refer to God as our Father. He refers to God as my Father. Underscoring the fact that we can only know God as the Father through Jesus. However, we address God not just as a Father or the Father, Jesus tells us to say, our Father. Do you let that sink in for a second? Through Christ, we have an access to a level of relationship with God that is personal and intimate. However, pay attention to what Jesus teaches us. As Jesus teaches us to pray, we are not sons and daughters in the singular, but rather sons and daughters in the plural, our Father. Jesus does not teach us to pray, my Father who art in heaven... But our Father. This is important because we live in a fractured world, a world filled with people and yet defined by relationships that are broken and disconnected, by feelings of isolation and loneliness. Through this prayer, the first words, our Father, Jesus is reminding us we are never alone. God is not a private Father. But a common father to the whole world. Whether the whole world acknowledges him as such or not, God is our father. And one implication of praying our father is the encouragement that we're never alone in our prayers. We are always praying together. We are always praying together. Whether or not we're in the same room, occupying the same space, we are always praying together as the body of Christ, the communion of saints, the family of God. To pray our Father is to acknowledge with Jesus, as Paul later describes in his letter to the Ephesians, that our Father's desire is to bring unity to all things under heaven and on earth in Christ. Therefore, when I pray our Father, I cannot pray selfishly for anything that would harm or hurt another person or community. Hear that, church. I can't say the words our Father and pray for harm or hurt on another person or community. When we pray to our Father, we must pray for the needs of all. I cannot truly pray without looking beyond my own concerns to also lift up the needs of my neighbor, even my adversary, as Jesus teaches us. To pray our Father is to acknowledge that in Christ, I am my brother or my sister's keeper. My relationship with the Father, our Father, is inseparable from my relationship with others. And this lines up, right? Isn't this what Jesus teaches us later when he sums up the law? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Inseparable. Inseparable. So it begs the question, just with these first two words, When you pray, our Father, do you really mean my Father? How self-absorbed is our prayer life? How self-absorbed is our prayer life? Do we allow the way we address our Father to influence how we see, how we pray, how we live with each other? If I'm honest and I can only talk about myself, if I'm honest, I'm quick to pray for my issues, my relationship with God, my family, my concerns, but I am slow in remembering or even considering what is going on with everyone else. And you may say, but you're a pastor. And my response would be, when I get into pastor mode, yes, I pray for you, but when I'm not in pastor mode and I'm just being Chris as if there's any separation. (laughs) I'm quick to think of myself, my needs, my relationship to God, and I'm slow to remember, if I can even call it to mind at all, the needs of other people around me, let alone the needs of other people around me in this big, wide world. But what we need to hear is the Lord's Prayer is a prayer not just for an individual in the body of Christ. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer just for an individual in the body of Christ. It is primarily a crying out from the whole body of Christ to God as our Father together. It is primarily an intercession from all of us for all of us and for this earth as a whole. When we address God, we need to pause and make an effort to pray for people and situations that don't directly affect us, but of which we are connected to as fellow children of our Father. Because when I pray for others before our Father, it is my first step in getting involved, in engaging those people relationally too. And allowing our Father through me, through us, to meet their needs. Throughout this, as I go along, I'm going to give you something that I really want you to encourage you to practice for this week, because Lent is about listening, learning, and practicing. And I've asked, if you're here on Ash Wednesday, for us to focus on the Lord's Prayer. So here's the first thing if you want to write it down, want to blow it off, your choice. I want to encourage you to focus on the lord's prayer and as you do focus on our father as an intercessory prayer this week when you start to pray that prayer when you say those first two words i want you to think in an intercessory way and pray in an intercessory way you see because when jesus teaches us to address god as our father it's not in the sense that god is ours by right of possession right our father To pray our Father is to recognize not our possession of God, but God's possession of us, the privilege of his choosing of us. And that's why the complete address that Jesus gives us when we speak to God is not just our Father, but it's our Father who art in heaven. We think of the word heaven and we look up, right? We look up. We think of heaven as the space way up there. And if we were to go outside, we'd go way out there. We think of heaven in this way. When we think of heaven like that, it's only natural for us to perceive God as being distant, far away from us. And so, when we pray, we treat God as if he were a long way off. And we offer our prayers like ammunition from a shotgun shooting upward, spraying heaven with a barrage of requests repeated over and over. Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. And when we get desperate, we enlist everyone and anyone we can think of in the hopes of increasing our prayer shot, figuring the more fire we launch up in the general direction of heaven, the more likely we'll hit the mark and get God's attention. But to view God in this way, as distant and far away, is to ignore or deny our address of Him, as Jesus teaches us, as our Father. To pray, Our Father, once again speaks of the immediacy, the nearness. The theological word is the eminence of God. By adding, Who art in heaven? Jesus is not teaching us that God is far away from us in terms of His location or His presence. God is our father. God is near near us. God is with us, as close as a loving parent. And yet, our father is in heaven. That is, God our father is transcendent. God our father is above and beyond us in terms of his position, his essence. To break this down, we are created in our father's image, but we are not like God. You get it? We are created in our Father's image, but we are not like God. Maybe we can perceive this tension, it's not perfect, but maybe we can perceive this tension in a similar degree to our parent-child relationships. I would argue a good and loving parent is close to his or her children, right? you got to be close to your children to listen to them, you spend time with them, you talk with them. But I would also argue a good and loving parent is also, by nature of their role, removed from childhood. A good parent needs to be an adult and not act like a child. They need to be an adult and not act like a child in order to be in the position to advise, to nurture, to discipline. So we can be close, but we can be apart at the same time. Beloved, God our Father is more than the projection of our aspirations and our experiences. He is... Our Father who art in heaven, which means his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Our Father's residence is not confined to the walls of any church or temple we build. God is with us in the particularity of our lives, speaking, guiding, encouraging, and leading us. But our Father is not living in our hearts. I know we all learned that as kids. We can ask Jesus to have our heart but we don't honestly believe that Jesus is only living in my heart or your heart. God is beyond us. Even as he's with us, he's beyond us orchestrating, maintaining, and working out his purposes in a much wider world. Through his providence over all creation, God our Father breaks into our hearts. He breaks into our thoughts, into our dreams, into our visions, shattering what we think we know expanding what we think we understand, and raising our consciousness beyond what we can even imagine or hope for. Paul's words, not mine. You see, if we fully appreciate how Jesus teaches us to rightly address God, the implications for us are profound. Here's one. Even though we don't feel like a child of God, act like a child of God, or believe like a child of God, our identity doesn't change. God is our father, not based on what we feel, how we act, or what we believe, or what we've done. God is our father because he claims us, he calls us, he leads us home to him through what Jesus has done. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Here's another one. If God is not physically or relationally distant from us, but simply different from us in his essence and his position, then we don't need to pray as if we're firing buckshot to reach a target. For when we pray, we aren't trying to get God's attention. We aren't trying to get God's attention. Through prayer, our Father desires to have our attention. In his providence, his eye is always upon us. By his spirit, our father continually guides us. The purpose of prayer then, this is so critical. Please hear this this morning. The purpose of prayer then is not getting what we want. The purpose of prayer, and you see it through the fullness of what Jesus teaches here. I hope you see it through these next couple of weeks. The purpose of prayer is bending our lives toward God. To better know and be in the center of the Lord's character and will. And in that place, discerning what God wants for us. The purpose of prayer is not what we want, but discerning what God wants for us. And by us, I don't just mean me and you. I mean all of us. So here's number two this week. Spend some time praying the Lord's prayer. And praying it, just listening and receiving. And what I mean is, as much as you say the words that Jesus taught us to pray, stop and listen and receive what the Lord wants to say to you. Entering into that space knowing that you're not trying to get God's attention when you say these words, that when you say these words, God is trying to get your attention. After teaching us how to properly address God... Jesus shares the first petition that we are to lift up to our Father in heaven. It is, hallowed be thy name. Important. The word God is a descriptive label. God is a descriptive label. The word Father defines a relationship. But our Father has a name. A personal name. A first name. A covenant name. Biblically, a name represents the character, the personality, the reputation, the reality of that person. When I say, hey, you, I'm not invoking anything about the reality of you. Hey, you is like a place marker. Hey, creature, thing, person. But when I say, Chris, Chris Twiteman, I am engaging the particularity, the reputation, the wholeness of of me, of this person. God reveals his name, as we all remember, through Moses. It is Yahweh, or I am. And it's I am, not just in the philosophical sense of I exist. If we truly understand God's name, God's name is Yahweh, I am that I am, in the relational sense of I am with you and I am for you. I am with you and I am for you. Really cool thing to think about. The name of God is revealed to Moses, but it's later that Jesus reveals the name of his father through his person. You ever catch that? Jesus tells us again and again in the Gospels, he tells us this again and again in the Gospels, he's revealing the father to us. In seeing him, Jesus in that moment, you remember it in the upper room, tells Philip, Philip, and he tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So here, I want to make a connection. hope you can get this with me. You ever wonder about something in the Gospel of John? In the Gospel of John, it's known for, the Gospel stands out for seven declarations in the Gospel of John. They're known as the I am statements. We looked at them a couple of lengths back. Here, make the connection with me. When Jesus is saying, I am, when he's speaking this way, he's not just making declarations about himself not just making declarations about himself. Through what Jesus is doing in that moment, he's revealing the character of God the Father. Yahweh, I am, is with us and for us. It's not just Jesus embracing the children. It is our Father. It is not just Jesus eating with sinners. It is our Father. It is not just Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It is our Father. Hallowed be thy name is not a declaration, it's a petition. It's a command. It's an imperative verb expressed in the passive voice. If you will, it's probably better translated for us this way. Make your name holy. Make your name holy. But this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. Our Father's name is already holy. I mean, we can't make it holy, right? I mean, none of us is going to say we make it holy. So what's what's Jesus saying? What's he teaching us? The point, the petition is for us to recognize our Father's name as holy. If you will, make your name holy in and through us. Make your name holy in and through us. In other words, we're praying for God to help us to live in a way that brings honor to our Father, that attracts and draws others to our Father, both through our words and our actions. They must reflect and represent our Father, his name, his character appropriately. Our Father's name is already holy. But our use of his name is not always holy. To pray this petition is in one sense to seek to avoid violating the third commandment. Remember the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do Do you appreciate the irony right now? It's an irony we must take seriously. While we can't add to our Father's name, we can't make his name holy. You with me? We can take away from our Father's name we can soil his reputation we can defame his character there's a great story two Duke professors uh, Willimon and Harawas they tell this story about a college student they knew he was the first person in his family to go to college and someone one day offered this student some illegal drugs saying go on try it it'll make you feel good but the student refused don't be so uptight, said the drug dealer. No one's going to know that you tried a little dope and got a little high. That's not the point, replied the student. The point is that my mother cleaned houses and washed floors to send me to this college. I'm here because of her. I'm here for her. I wouldn't do anything that might demean her sacrifice for me. That's Lord Make your name holy in and through us. You see, normally we think of the third commandment, we think of this petition, we think of disrespecting or taking our Father's name in vain as cursing. God, Jesus. But the real issue, I mean, seriously? The real issue, the bigger violation, the more harmful curse we make God's name into is when we carelessly and wrongly associate the name of our Father with our personal crusades or communal campaigns. We need to hear this, church, because we're losing sight of this. this, Maybe this prayer will center us again. We are ambassadors of our Father's kingdom. Our Father is not the patron of our causes, We are ambassadors of our Father's kingdom. God is not the patron of our causes, especially the racial prejudices, the gender biases, and religious discriminations. If God, our Father's name, is holy, then all who reflect His image, who bear His name as His children, are holy too, even if they are acting like prodigals, like wayward sons and daughters. Beloved, we are... Baptismal fountain is right there reminding us every time we come in here. When we are baptized, one of the things we understand about baptism is God's name is put upon us. God's name is put upon us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As bearers of his name, we not only have our identification, we know who we are, right? We have authorization to represent our good and holy Father. It is our responsibility as children of our Father to honor and live up to the family name. To honor and live up to the family name. Now, if we're starting to get a little uncomfortable, remember, this is a petition, right? It's a request made to our Father. Make your name holy in and through us. We can't make God's name holy by our own will and effort. Only our Father can do this. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are submitting to the work of our Father to make us holy as he is holy. Praying this petition, if you will, is an admission of our continuing need for God's grace, recognizing we aren't just saved by grace, it's grace by grace that we're being conformed into the character of Christ. The theological term for this that you probably have heard before is sanctification. And sanctification means sacred, being set apart, When we pray this prayer, we're praying for our sanctification, that through the power and persistence of the Holy Spirit, we are being empowered to respond to God's holiness, to have our whole life reflect our Father's holiness. And my friends, this transformation doesn't just come through saying words. This transformation comes through our worship. We pray for our Father to make his name holy in and through us, and our Father answers that prayer as we worship Him. Worship is not just a service on a Sunday, but worship is through every breath we take, every move we make. We worship through how we live our lives before God our Father. St. Augustine once wrote it this way, what we adore, we imitate. What we adore, we imitate. Do you get it? The point of our worship is to give glory to God. The point of our worship is to give glory to God, not to puff up or fill our Father up as if he's deficient or empty. We give glory to our Father to open ourselves up to receive his glory, to allow our Father to sanctify, to refine and shape and nurture his character in us. That's what we're doing this morning. That's why we're here. We're opening ourselves up for God to do his work in us, and that's why it's more than the time we spend together this morning. It's every breath, every step we take of opening ourselves up so God can work and mold and shape. It's through living our lives in worship to God that we encounter and discover more of God's character. And this leads to the third thing I want to encourage you. One way to live into this petition, hallowed be thy name, is to stop at this petition and reflect on the name of our God. And I want to encourage you this week to stop at this petition and reflect on the name of our God and pray back the name of God as a way of opening yourself to receive our Father's character in you. Our Father has a covenant name. I am with you. I am for you. Reflect on that. Pray that back to God. Yes, God, be with me. Yes, God, I see where you are for me. To let God's character get inside of us. Our Father, as you also know, has many nicknames. Our Father has a covenant name, but he has many nicknames, right? He's Adonai, our Lord. He's our rock. He's our refuge. I could go on and on. Each nickname reveals another aspect of God's character. Reflect on the nicknames of God as a way of pressing into his character. And we can also pray back the character of God revealed through concrete historical events. That's why we read our Bible, to see God's character displayed through what he does through his people. So don't just remember the exodus. Pray the exodus as if it was God's character at work in your life. God, in the same way that you liberated your people once from slavery, liberate me, set me free, break the chains in my life, because you are the God who sets people free. some homework. (laughs) When we engage someone, anybody, anytime, we engage someone for the first time, we assess, don't we, that person's character. We assess that person's character in order to assess the future potential of our relationship with that person. We size them up, right? If that person seems honest and trustworthy, we feel safe being vulnerable and opening up. If that person seems generous and caring, a sense that they're generous and caring, then we feel comfortable asking them for something, asking for help. But if that person is quick-tempered, if that person's evasive or prone to withhold their love, we become closed off, right? We become afraid or not eager to share. Character is the basis of our relationship with each other. Another person's character is what we do or do not relate to. Here, at the start, as Jesus teaches us to pray, Jesus begins by giving us a character reference for God so that we can know how to relate to him, so that we can know how to talk to him, so that we can know how to represent him. And my friends, if we don't know how to properly address God, then we don't know who we really are. In knowing how to address our creator as our father who art in heaven, we come to know ourselves as his children, saved by Christ. If we don't appreciate the holiness, the distinctiveness of our father's name, his character, we don't know how to worship, which means we really don't know how to live because worship is life. It's what we're made for. In asking our Father to make his name holy in and through us, we are, being, we are asking to be taught how to worship, how to live, how to live well, how to live rightly. And gradually, by his grace, our Father empowers us to learn how to be good representatives of his character so that others would recognize their true identity, and drawn to be finally to finally come home with us to him this is the word of the lord thanks be to god